This is the Tom Anderson Show, broadcasting live from the KVNT studios in South Central Alaska, USA, live and local 7 to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday, right here on KVNT 1020 a.m. and 92.5 FM, your best source for morning news, traffic, and weather, streaming live online at TomAndersonShow.com. Phone lines are open. Dial 907-357-5868. That's 357-5868. Politics and news from a guy who's made it happen. Your morning drive just got a whole lot better. Good morning, America. Here's Tom Anderson. Hey, good morning, everybody. Happy, happy Thursday, my favorite day of the week, certainly of the weekdays. And I'm glad to see that we've made it to the under three-week mark until the election. I bet everybody's happy, maybe sick of getting mailers, maybe sick of listening to radio ads. Tom Steigman and I are not because that means we're getting our job done. Yeah, it's making it's candidates. Definitely making the days go by fast. That's for sure. Yeah. No, it's plenty of work. All my years in Optima, this is my 12th. This is the busiest I've ever been of any year, any couple months. The last two months have been the busiest I have ever been by far. Man, good ever. for you. That's yeah, awesome. so it's it's rocking. And the other thing I'll say is I have done more radio than ever in my life uh, the, over the last two months, probably a couple years combined compared to what we've done over the just everybody mm-hmm. wants radio and there's a process to it. And for what that's worth, we're happy. So happy to be rocking. By the way, guess what I got yesterday, Tom? Um, a new banjo. Received in the mail. <laughs> you know, I received my absentee ballot. Oh, wow. Because remember, right. I wanted to test that. Yeah. You're allowed to request an absentee for any reason. You don't have to give a reason. So I just said, well, I'll take it because I want to see who mails what to me, mm-hmm. if anything. You know, all the gotcha. absentee chasers. Yeah. So did, uh, I mean, what was the timeline on the turnaround on that for you? I mean, well, did, did you have to wait like a week, two weeks? I mean, how long ago did you order that thing? No, the way it worked is they sent them out to everybody in state Saturday. So everybody got theirs today, today oh. and yesterday. Okay. Everybody will get theirs yesterday. Everybody who requested them? Everybody that requested them gotcha. in state. Out of state, 45 days okay. out. In state, 30 days out. So, yeah, nobody, nobody got the absentee okay. ballot. I was thinking that they were kind of processing them as the orders came in. Me too. And nope, they, they don't do it that way. They wait now. If you were to say, how was the list building every day? 10, 20, 30, 40, sure. 50, 100, 1,000 people. Probably not 50. Probably thousands every day applying. So my guess is there could be, what would you guess in, in all of the um, absentees? I bet you there could be 10, 15, 20,000 people voting by absentee or more. Mm-hmm. I have to look at the list. I know there's more than 10 by far. So we will see how that unfolds. I know that, you know, whenever we have the uh, the actual general election results, I think they delay some of the absentee. And I don't, you and I talked about that. Those would be the ones you count first. Easy. It's already mm-hmm. done. You know what I mean? Right. In other words, if I mail my ballot in today and they get it Monday, that's an easy vote to count. So on November 8th at 8 p.m., that vote should be right there, done. Palin, Murkowski, you know, not with my name, but at least measured. And yet they, I think they delay. And don't they delay on the absentees a bit? Yeah. So they're all in, or do they count them as they go starting November 8th? I think they count them as they go starting on November 8th. 
and when they start doing those tabulations and, uh, you know, whatever that drag time is after the election for people actually, you know, have the ballots in at that point or have them received through the mail, they continually adjust those numbers. Okay. Yeah, I wondered how that worked. I don't know. I should get someone on the on the there's one person in the division of elections I'm not a fan of and then there are some others that that are smart and savvy but aren't willing to come on air, so I'm kinda stuck. So I don't know. I'll have to get someone that's You just gotta sweet talk those people. You can do it. Yeah. You got a golden tongue. Oh, please. Not with them. <laughs> Not after what went, went. We won the contract to do those animations and they, they dawdled and delayed. And I saw such incompetence. I, uh, <laughs> there were more uh, opportunities to bid very lucrative proposals. And my team and I said, forget it mm-hmm. because we don't want to work with them. It's not worth the money, believe yeah. it or not. And so, no, I, I really don't want them on air. <laughs> I think they're going to be that, – that division of elections group is going to be kicked to the curb when Dahlstrom gets in is my guess. So we will see. But anyway, I have – On a more positive now. note, rain in the forecast today. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's the Gary moment. Oh, yeah. boy. Well, I wonder how many other people – what I'd like to ask to everybody – and I'll give you the phone number, 357-5868. That's our phone line. Of course, 907 first. But 357, like the gun, 357-5868. 357-5868. Call in and tell me what absentee mailers you've received from candidates. I haven't received one, and hmm. I applied several weeks ago. I have not received one absentee mailer that says i'm nick i'm lisa i'm kelly shabaka i'm gara i'm walker i'm dunlavy please vote for me so i assume those will be coming i know palin mailed one out and so there i know that obviously intimately so that that will be landing in my mailbox today likely so perfect timing absentee ballot yesterday mailer to vote for me today to you know to vote for the candidate we did that perfectly to be honest but and thanks to pip alaska mike vanya if you i'm going to segue right to an endorsement pip alaska they have handled things for the republican party they've handled things for division of elections when it comes to mailer that's just you know they print things so that's just one they mail things they can help you with indoor and exterior posters and and decor and stickers and and all those things the things on the windows and wraps on vehicles and then of course the trade shows and the, the claim the fame though is that they can print and mail out these precise we call them mailers and they work and if you're a church if you're a human being that goes to a church that's representing it you know what i mean if you are working at a business, if you are a business owner, let's say you have a restaurant or a plumbing shop or sell lemonade or bath bombs, or I don't know what you do in your business. Maybe you're the manager of one or, or an employee and you want to tell your boss or your, your managing boss or the owner uh, something that might be important to them. Tell them to get a hold of pipalaska.com. Go to pipalaska.com. Get that phone number call for Mike Vanya with a V, Mike Vanya, and say, hey, what can you do to help us spread the word for our business? And like if you're a plumbing company, do it around the neighborhood and put a QR code on to see how many people scan to your plumbing website. 
again, if you're a restaurant, put a do a mailer and put a QR code, you know, that little squiggly thing that your phone scans and put a coupon on it. There's just a lot of ways. You, you know the place we make the least money at Optima? Mailers. I'm pitching it because I think it's a viable, valuable way for you as a business to do well. Do we make a lot of money from it? No. That's our least revenue, but I think it's it's very effective for clients. And I really want to pitch PIP. So like I say, pay, pay and use them. And so, and so do our other clients. Stay with us, my friends. A lot of news ahead. So good morning. Happy Thursday. Tom Anderson Show. This is the Tom Anderson Show, broadcasting live from the KVNT studios, 7 to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday. There's a long black train. Isn't that a great song, little Josh Turner? Good morning, everybody. Tom Anderson Show. Lots of things to talk about, for sure. New York Times reporting that Britain's Prime Minister Liz Truss, I predicted it, Tom predicted it, she's going to resign after her tax plan created really economic turmoil in the UK, the United Kingdom with reverberations and you know effects across the globe because that's a huge economy and a big trading partner uh you know to and from in the UK. She took office only 6 weeks ago. And pretty much a rapid fall from power. Tom has a Fox News clip on this pretty much breaking news. I came into office at a time of great economic and international instability. Families and businesses were worried about how to pay their bills. Putin's illegal war in Ukraine threatens the security of our whole continent. And our country has been held back for too long by low economic growth. I was elected by the Conservative Party with a mandate to change this. We delivered on energy bills and on cutting national insurance. And we set out a vision for a low-tax, high-growth economy that would take advantage of the freedoms of Brexit. I recognise, though, given the situation... I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. This morning I met the chairman of the 1922 committee, Sir Graham Brady. We've agreed that there will be a leadership election to be completed within the next week. This will ensure that we remain on a path to deliver our fiscal plans and maintain our country's economic stability and national security. I will remain as Prime Minister until a successor has been chosen. Thank you. Yeah, I feel sorry for her. I really do. Don't you? You can say, well, she didn't cut it, but I mean, you get in there, no pun intended, with her planned tax cuts. and She had really... (sighs) A free market fiscal agenda, that's how they quantify it. And New York Times says that promised a radical policy shift for Britain. And 
I thought initially her ideas were on point, but instead it kind of the notion of what she pushed plunged the UK into like weeks of turmoil, economic, political, everything. Her departure just after six weeks in office, it's the shortest tenure ever for a British prime minister, was a rapid fall from power that kind of throws the Conservative Party, which she is a member of, into disarray. Because there was a messy departure of Boris Johnson before her. That was over the summer. She said, as you heard in the clip, that was a clip from last night, which was our, you know, I mean, it's their their day. They're ahead of us, what, nine hours. She said she's going to remain party leader and prime minister until a successor is chosen. And that'll be quick. It'll be within a week. Her political viability became thin, became tenuous after her proposals for broad, unfunded tax cuts kind of roiled the markets and sent the pound value plunging. The pound is, of course, the UK English currency. And then she suffered a grave blow this week on Monday when her newly appointed Chancellor of Exchequer, Jeremy Hunt, said that the government was undoing the last vestiges of Ms. Truss's tax proposals, one of the most dramatic reversals in modern British political history, where you have all these plans and all these things and ideas, and you move forward, then the day or two or three days later, you're like, nope, none of those plans are going through. She announced her resignation alongside her hubby, side her hubby, uh, with some brief remarks that you just heard. That was at 10 Downing Street. So, and she admitted it. She says, hey, I can't deliver the mandate, which I was elected upon. So it's a really fascinating turn of events there. Among the leading candidates, that should be your question if you're interested in United Kingdom politics. To succeed Ms. Truss are Rishi Sunak, the former Chancellor of Exchequer, who lost out to her in the party leadership campaign over the summer. I bet you he'll get it. Penny Mordaunt, leader of the lower house of parliament and Ben Wallace, the defense secretary, who knows? I don't know enough about them. British pound and government bond prices inched a little bit higher with Truss's announcement, but the market's reaction was muted for the most part. But there you have it. At least you have an understanding of what's going on there. And maybe it makes you feel good or not. You probably think that we're not affected by the UK. We are. Trust me, we are, and there is an effect on the United States government, and there's an effect on Canada and all the countries tethered to the United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand. Believe me, there is, so you should at least be aware of it. Are you aware that way back when, October 20th, we had the Louisiana Purchase on this day in history. From the Daily Almanac, here's a quote. There is on the globe one single spot, the possessor of which is our natural and habitual enemy, Thomas Jefferson wrote. It is New Orleans, through which the produce of three-eighths of our territory must pass to market. The port city lay at the southern edge of Louisiana. If any of you have been there, it's a great city. The vast region named, of course, New Orleans for King Louis. And so that stretched from the Mississippi River all the way to the Rocky Mountains and from the Canadian border to the Gulf of Mexico, that territory. In 1801, President Jefferson instructed 
Robert Livingston, his envoy in Paris, to try to buy New Orleans from the French. Or New Orleans, you can pronounce it how you want. Jefferson sent his good friend James Monroe to aid in the negotiations. By the way, Monroe, remarkable, later became a president. Really, with his doctrine and, and such a remark, if you ever want to read about one of the first five presidencies, you know, histories and tenures, read about his. It's fascinating. The Americans were in luck. Napoleon Bonaparte needed money. He was fighting in a lot of wars. By the way, if you ever go to my mom's hometown of Leipzig, Germany, you can see the Battle of Nations Monument where Napoleon asked, and he lost to the Prussians. And it was, a, it was just a, that's another place. Oldest coffee shop in Europe is in Leipzig. It's where Mendelssohn and Richard Wagner and Bach. I mean, it's just a, it's a beautiful city in, in near Dresden and kind of near Berlin. So, Without money for these wars, Bonaparte sold it. He didn't have much use for Louisiana. He believed might be seized, actually, by the British or by the Americans. So that was like coming soon back then. He's like, we're going to lose that. We're too far away. And the Brits are in Canada. They're going to take all that property or the Americans are the colonists. So <laughs> what do we do? Kind of like Russia with Alaska. We spoke of that a couple of days ago with William Seward and Andrew Johnson. So Livingston and Monroe were stunned when Napoleon offered to sell not just New Orleans, but the entire Louisiana territory for $15 million. Can you imagine? Some of you are worth that much. The offer was too good to pass up. The envoys inked the treaty and on October 20th, today, 1803, the Senate quickly ratified it before Napoleon might change his mind. In one stroke, Jefferson had more than doubled the size of the country for pennies on the acre, literally. It was no doubt one of the best land bargains in history, as was Alaska. Uh, and that obviously took place later. October seems to be the month in our history for big purchases. The fact that no one had asked for the consent of the region's inhabitants, mainly Native Americans, went overlooked. That's something that our indigenous are not happy with. In other words, you sold their land, they're living on it, and had been there for hundreds, if not thousands of years, and then... I won't just say whites, Hispanic, other, you know, other nations come in and say, well, this is our land because it's, it's right next to us. So it's ours, kind of a Russia move. So I know I'm happy because of our expansion in the United States, but for what happened to the indigenous. Critics also insisted the Constitution gave the government no power to purchase territory. We're way past that. Yet the transaction set the United States on course to become a huge nation, which seemingly unlimited you know i mean if you look at everything the frontiers the possibilities it's huge what what they went through and their expansion into the civil war i mean huge hawaii of course was the 50th state in the opinion of john quincy adams the sixth president the louisiana purchase would prove next in historical importance to the declaration of independence and the adoption of the constitution that's true and I put Alaska up there too, don't you? The purchase of Alaska. I mean, think of the property up here and think of the mining and the oil and gas. Yes, the vistas, yes, the people, but you, you wonder why Sarah Palin, you wonder why Mike Dunleavy, you wonder why candidates 
talk about how important our natural resource development is. But for that, I mean, fishing, mining, oil and gas, uh, these types of reserves. Yes, we're a beautiful state and it's fun to grow things and it's fun to look at the trees and see the majesty of the mountains. But I mean, the resources are what's the big deal and the defense posture where we're located. So all good stuff. A little moment in history for you. Stay with us, Little Lee Greenwood, right here on the Tom Anderson Show. Good morning. And I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me. And I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Because there ain't no doubt I love this land. Hey now, you're an all-star. This is the Tom Anderson Show, broadcasting live from the KVNT studios, 7 to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday. We are back. Good morning, everybody. And Gary, if you want to call back in, you better do it sooner than later, brother, because we have a three-minute clip from Fox News. What's happening is we have a problem on the border, and you know we've spoken about this and discussed it here at the Tom Anderson Show for years it is something that truly credit must be given. And Tom, I know you concur to Donald Trump because the border's always been talked about as a 10th, 11th, 12th issue for presidents and for governors, much more important, much more exigent to control and, and prevent. But Trump put it on the radar when he said, I'm going to put a fe- you know fence up or a wall up. We got to figure out a way to stop this. We got to empower governors and then governors vote Republican governors because they seem to have more teeth in their actions. Same with mayors, same with, with, uh, you know, community leaders. And now fast forward, Biden, it's on his radar, but not significantly. And you found a clip that highlights what specifically, isn't it based in El Paso, the story? Yes, it is. And, uh, so this is, uh, the El Paso mayor and, you know, they're just uh, finding him doing some uh, contradictory uh, statements here. So okay. We'll play that. And so is he a friend of Biden? Is he not working on, uh, you know, illegal immigration and people crossing the border? Or is he? He claims he is. Tom and I think he's not. Fox News investigates. Democratic mayor of El Paso caught in a flip-flop on the border right here on America's Newsroom. So it all started on Monday when the New York Post reported the White House had pressured the mayor not to declare an emergency over the city's migrant crisis. I asked Mayor Oscar Leeser to respond in an interview yesterday. Here's what he said. Did the White House ask you not to declare a state of emergency? Absolutely not. You know, one of the things I'm very thankful for the White House, the federal government, they've done a really, really good job of working with us and helping us to make sure we get funding to be able to do the job that border cities are required to do. So that was yesterday. Listen to what the mayor said at a city council meeting three weeks ago. I had a conversation this morning, this morning or yesterday with uh, the chief of the U.S. Border Patrol, uh, Chief uh, Ortiz, and he um, he does not support uh, declaring a state of emergency at this point. Our congresswoman has uh, urged for us not to do that, and our county judge does not support that at this point. We may have to do that. I mean, there's going to be a point where we may have to do that, but at this point, and the White House has asked at this point for us not to do that. So Bill Malusian is down there in Texas reporting live. And Bill, what are other officials in El Paso saying about this? 
Well, Dana, good morning to you. First off, he is on camera admitting to it. There's no sugarcoating this one. It appears the El Paso mayor was very dishonest with you yesterday in his answer to you. And the mayor of all people should know all of these city council meetings are recorded and posted online for the public to see. And one of those El Paso city council members says she went to the mayor repeatedly asking for a disaster declaration. He repeatedly told her no because of pressure from the White House. She says she believes he's been playing politics. Take a listen. I asked him to please consider again to, you know, declare a state of emergency. And, you know, he said, uh, not at this time, you know, I, the White House asked me not to do it. Um, and so that was the conversation I had with him a couple of weeks later after that out and open during one of our council meetings, I challenged him again. And again, he said, you know, the White House asked me not to do it. Our Congresswoman asked me not to do it. And for me, that was just kind of like, are you kidding me? We were elected to serve the people of El Paso and not to necessarily, you know, put politics into it. And the city of El Paso has been inundated with migrants in recent weeks, averaging more than 1,800 illegal crossings every single day. Border Patrol released more than 26,000 migrants into the city of El Paso in the month of September alone. Half of them didn't even have a sponsor in the United States. That resulted in some of these migrants just living out on the streets of El Paso. And as a result, El Paso had to spend its own money to house, feed, and transport these migrants. They say they've racked up a more than $6 million bill for that so far, which they want FEMA reimbursement for. They have asked the federal government for a $10 million advance. So far, FEMA has only reimbursed them with a $2 million advance, and that includes for El Paso's migrant buses. Take a look at this video. We've reported it for weeks now. For weeks, El Paso has been sending these migrant buses to New York City, and they are being reimbursed by the federal government for it. So far, El Paso has sent more than 215 of these buses. That's more than 11,000 migrants to New York City. That's triple what Texas Governor Greg Abbott has sent, but only Governor Abbott has been criticized for it. Some people calling him a human trafficker, the White House criticizing him as well. At the same time, though, the White House is now reimbursing the city of El Paso for doing the exact same thing. We'll send it back to you. There you go. So I think we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem, and it's in El Paso. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, I, I think that we have to, and I've spoken about this before, and Tom, I'd love your opinion, and I'd love the listeners' opinions. As you're driving to work this morning and you contemplate what we don't have to worry about, but which affects America, just like Liz Truss quitting and Russian and Ukrainian relations, trust me, that the latter really affects us. Uh, but, but most of all, what happens at our borders? And Canada... We have issues there where people bounce back and forth with prescription drug needs and maybe bucking the system for, you know, drug dealers or uh, job related things, but it's minimal. It's de minimis for sure. When you look at Mexico and you look at there being a funnel for less so, but still there are South Americans, more so Central Americans and absolutely Mexican neighbors coming through. We have a grave, prolific problem on our borders. We have read that there are millions of people coming over every year. Do you not think, folks, that that's not a problem? And I know you're in Alaska. And I know you're worried about 
things more local and close to home. Gubernatorial election, U.S. Senate, Congress, maybe your own health, maybe your own financial situation or your your relatives, maybe your parents are sick. I have so many friends where parents are ill or they themselves are. They're not worried about the border. Fair enough. But at least keep it in your whole spectrum of things you can consider. Maybe not worry about, but consider and be aware of. I think you should worry to some degree. The border and the problems we have there, those are astronomical numbers when it comes to a nation of our size. And that many people coming in, churning in. Churning would be going wrong, but but I guess trickling in, pouring in. Some days both. What do we do? And if a wall isn't the answer, we have to be tougher. This is what I think, Tom. And then I'll get your thoughts. Tom, I think we need to sanction severely, like what we're doing to Russia, Mexico, and Central America, and say, we're cutting your asses off if you don't stop this. Because they're coming through your country. They're not staying in your assholes. They're coming to our country. Imagine if you were a neighbor and, and, a, and a nearby neighbor allows rats or mice or lemmings or shrews or, or whatever, homeless people to come through their property to go into yours. You would say, hey, block yours off. What if you were friends with that neighbor or adjacent property? And I mean, there would be tension. Do you agree, Tom? That's the way to do it versus just a wall in and of itself? Yeah, I would. I, I don't know. I think the, you know, honestly, the wall and trying just to block that border is going to be more effective because I think there's so much and maybe it's, uh, you know, just stuff that I've read, but so much corruption that happens in Mexico because, yeah. you know, they're getting paid off from the traffickers that are getting these people through. Uh, and that's why it's happening. Yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, what we're going to get one sanction here, but the money's going to st- still keep flowing from the traffickers. Well, then who cares? Uh, come on through. Yeah, no, you're right. So, I mean, that's the that's the hard part of things. But, you know, as they were talking about those numbers, it, it, they were talking about 26,000 came through El Paso uh, in September, or maybe that was all of Texas. You know, if you've been to a concert at the new Alaska Airlines Center over there at UAA, that's filling that thing like five or six times. Jeez. That's how many people they're dealing with on a monthly basis that are just, yeah. you know, flooding into the community. So, I mean, the the infrastructure just can't support that. And so, yeah, I mean, these cities, it's got to get fixed. It's just got to get fixed. Well, shoot me that clip, Sir Thomas, because then I can put it in our Buzz Sprout feed. Folks, if you go to the Tom Anderson Show, TomAndersonShow.com, maybe some of you are listening to our show. That way it goes to Connection to KVNT's website, which is the station we're on, that Tom manages. And we we have this Buzzsprout feed where all the notes, everything Tom and I talk about are there. If Tom and I talk about oranges and there's an article related, you'll see oranges and articles. So check it out, TomAndersonShow.com. Tom will shoot me that. And we're going to come right back one segment and one hour ahead. Good morning. Happy Thursday. Tom Anderson Show.
This is the Tom Anderson Show, broadcasting live from the KVNT studios, 7 to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday. Boy, there's an awful story here. We're talking about illegal immigration. Welcome back, Tom Anderson Show. Good morning. A 24-year-old woman accused of the horrific murder and rape of a 12-year-old girl whose body was found in a plastic box in Paris last week had been living in the country illegally for several years, French government officials said. The killing of the girl identified only as Lola Daviat has triggered an intense political debate on President Emmanuel Macron, whose immigration policies after the country's media reported that the 24-year-old suspect was an illegal immigrant from Algeria. The suspect in this barbaric act should not have been in our country. Marine Le Pen, head of the far-right national rally party who barely lost to to Macron, said Tuesday during a heated national assembly debate demanding that Macron's government put a stop to uncontrolled immigration. See, it's not just the United States that has the problem. French government spokesperson Oliver Varane confirmed to reporters Wednesday that the suspect lived in the country illegally for three years. And there she is. There's a photo of her on a CCTV camera. There's footage of her walking into a shop. Varane said that when the 24-year-old woman landed at Paris's Orly Airport in August, authorities noticed her flawed immigration status and issued her an order to leave French territory before letting her in. We are profoundly shaken and faced with the horror and the pain of this, the spokesperson said. Lola was found dead Friday night in Paris, a few streets away from the building where she lived, hours after her parents reported her missing when she never returned home from school. An autopsy showed that the girl died of cardiorespiratory failure with signs of asphyxia and cervical compression. The coroner's report also cited wounds to her face, back, neck, and injuries consistent with sexual assault. Her father, who works as a concierge in the building, used security camera footage to retrace the girl's footsteps. Prosecutors said the father told police that video shows his daughter enter the building with an unknown woman who later appeared alone in a hallway carrying what appeared to be a heavy suitcase. The 24-year-old woman was arrested Saturday in a northeastern suburb of the capital. She remains in custody on charges of murder. I'm assuming the child was in the suitcase. Uh, rape, torture, acts of barbarity, and concealment of a corpse. A 43-year-old man who has also uh, been charged and is in custody with helping to hide the girl's body. While the motive for the killing of the girl, they don't understand. Under investigation, why on earth would they do this? Politicians are, you know, clamoring to support Lola's parents at the same time debating immigration and illegal immigration. They want answers. They want judicial authorities to step in. What an awful, awful, awful event. I just, you, you read these stories and I, I just can't even fathom. It makes me sick. I hate to read them. And I, I don't understand how people can do that. I really don't. I'm going to get on a rabbit trail. Guys, especially men are more temperamental. And anybody that's listening, that's a male that has balls and a spine, you know what I'm thinking, right? Which is I would execute them on the spot. 
I would take them out after you find out and I would execute every single one involved to do that to a child, to rape her, kill her, put her in a suitcase. The, the, the aftermath is, a, is just a body. It, it's the taking of her life. And I would send a message to people. You know what that is? You know, the remember Pulp Fiction? I'm going to go medieval on you. Remember the rape scene? The big dude, Ring Rams, uh, is, is assaulted and Bruce Willis owed Ving something, and so he's going to lose. He was a gang leader, but he heard the raping, so he runs down, sorry to be graphic, and he takes out the guy but doesn't quite kill him, and he Ving, Ving says, you can go. You know, don't come back. You save me. I'm going to let you live. And then he looks at the guy and says, I'm going to go medieval on you. If we don't do that to these people, we should at least go cartel on them. Quick and fast executions and if you start doing that and we go a bit barbaric and i know you say tom that will fracture the justice system to its core we can't be distracted by getting to an animalistic level well i'm starting to think that's the only way to get attention this lady said she did this, she did that. She's clearly going to lie. Most of these folks that harm people lie. And they say, I didn't do it. Not guilty. These are the reasons. And just have a hiatus of a few weeks. No pity. No mercy. Take her out. Wait, what are you going to do? There's not a Parisian court that, you know, I'm not only going to do five years. No, a-hole. You're going to be shot outside with your accomplice. Oh, my God, no, no, no. And then you catch someone else, and the same thing happens. And it's like, wait, what are you doing? No, no, no. Hey, in, in the recent weeks, we have seen a couple, quote, serial killers caught. And it's like you killed and raped her. Okay, take him out. Well, hold on. Don't I get justice? Hold on, don't I get a cell for 20, 30 years with the TV and girl, weird girls writing to me, pining over me, wanting me to marry, celebrity overviews and maybe a movie about me? God, I can't wait. Oh, it's going to be miserable, but at least I live 20, 30. No, you're going to be executed right now. What? Yep. I bet you a lot of crimes would change. Oh, you're a mule? You're bringing over people? Yeah, no, but I was hired by cartel. No, execute him. How many people would be a mule? They'd be more scared of the American government than a cartel. And then you'd see that diminish. Oh, you, you set this up, execute them all right now. Some days I wish we could do that. Okay, Woodcover Mike calling in. Mike, what are your thoughts on my overview? Oh, you're just <laughs> vicious today, that's all. Do you agree with me hey, that there's, I know, it may not be the right Christian thing to do, but some days it sure would feel good to just do that, to execute this lady in Paris after we find out who's connected and just say, anyone else want to sneak into to Paris illegally and then commit a crime? You'll be shot on the spot. Well, we allow stuff. Countries allow it. We allow some of the most in the world abuse of our people because we're afraid to get rid of these little creeps. I called in to tell you a little story. I probably don't have time now. I might have you to got call four you minutes. back after eight. You got three and a half minutes. You ever heard of the Darien Gap? 
I've heard of it. Remind me what it is. I read about it somewhere. It's a little strip of land between Colombia and Panama. That's right. Okay. It makes Vietnam look like a church service. I, I can't put too fine of a point on this story, but one time, actually there was a couple of times when things had to be done down there by people who knew how to do them against the people who were uh, doing bad things to the other people. It's a damn dangerous place, and the bad guys, on a couple of occasions, had a really, really bad day. And that means the government or, oh, oh, I see. You mean the good guys stopped them for a bit. And so... Uh, you could say that. <laughs> I know that certain things you can't talk about with your past special forces career, but I will will say this. There's That's a great example. That's something that we could do to the cartels in Mexico. So what I hear you saying is, without going into detail, we are stopping them in bits and pieces, and, and the American public wouldn't know about it, would we? No, you don't hear about it. This. There's operations going on even now that you don't hear about to screw with them. And they're not untrained. And they're not unweaponized. It's just a matter of uh, strategy and force used against them. They I just wish we did more. All of what we did. You know. Yeah, no, I like it. I, I like what you're going and, and what, what Mike's talking about is the special forces of America, the Rangers, the SEALs, the Delta Forces, the entities, the CIA, the, the, the men and women that, that work for our government have been sent intermittently to stop cartel abuse and to stop sex trades and drug drug trades and others i just wish it was bigger and broader to really scare these folks because it's a headline every day but mike you're right and, and that's a good point even though we may not know the details of these uh, uh operations they, they may be working we might have double the drugs but for our rangers and our military and our cia so it's a good point mike enjoy your day i appreciate the call you bet thanks thank you sir that's a guy who can't talk about his past. This is the Tom Anderson Show, broadcasting live from the KVNT studios in South Central Alaska, USA. Live and local, 7 to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday, right here on KVNT, 1020 a.m. and 92.5 FM. Your best source for morning news, traffic, and weather. Streaming live online at TomAndersonShow.com. Phone lines are open. Dial 907-357-5868. That's 357-5868. Politics and news from a guy who's made it happen. Your morning drive just got a whole lot better. Good morning, America. Here's Tom Anderson. Hey, we're back. Good morning, everybody. Tom Anderson Show. This is our second hour. Phone lines are open. 357-5868. 357-5868. Good morning, Tom Steigelman. How are you, my friend? Happy Thursday. Hey, yeah, it's Thursday. I know it's your favorite day, so I am ready to party today. Woo! Good. Let's yeah, go. I was about to say. 41 degrees outside right now. It is warm. It is nice. I love it. Yeah. I think it's going to get even nicer. So, no, this is good. Still too cold to mow my grass, so I'm good with that, too. 
you know, it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Continuing to kick that can down the road. And let's just face it. I'm not doing it anymore. It doesn't matter how nice it gets outside. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So uh, I know. I know. I feel the same way. Hey, candidates for Alaska's governor, they're sparring over abortion, crime, Mm -hmm. budget, televised debate. Alaska's four candidates for governor reported by ADN.com here sparred over crime. And like I mentioned, education, all those elements last night in the only live televised debate ahead of the November election. And I'm regretful. I was so busy. I didn't have time to watch it. Independent former Governor Bill Walker and Democratic former state lawmaker Les Guerra devoted much of their responses to, of course, attacking the frontrunner, Republican Mike Dunleavy, for his record. Meanwhile, Dunleavy and fellow Republican candidate Charlie Pierce, former mayor of the Kenai Peninsula Borough, appeared to agree on most issues and urged their supporters to rank their candidate second in the state's first ranked choice general election. Walker and Guerra attacked centers on basically Dunleavy's record of of cutting the state spending on services and they say failing to advance a fiscal plan to provide a dependable calculation for the permanent fund dividend and covering the cost of running state programs such as education. The debate came a day after expected news broke that the Anchorage School District is considering, and I reported on this this week with Tom, closing six elementary schools in light of budget shortfalls because the per-student state funding formula increased by only 0.5% since 2017 over the last five and a half years, far below the 15% rate of inflation in the same time frame. So... Guerra, a former state representative, a colleague of mine in Juneau, blamed Dunleavy. He's a strong Democrat representing downtown Anchorage, which would be appropriate for being a strong Democrat. He, as he did on our show last week, he blamed Dunleavy for creating what he called the worst crisis in Alaska history. See, I don't know what Guerra's talking about. Alaska's doing pretty damn good right now. From permanent fund to taxes to more troopers, to, you know, University of Alaska, and and I would say corrections with all the fatalities there. That's not good. But in a lot of the public safety areas, first responders, you know, we, we the last couple of years have had fires in the summer and got those out. Environmental conservation, natural resource, these departments are cutting edge. I don't know what Gary's talking about. Les Guerra argued in favor of pretty much like providing teachers with a pension program, wanting to just what he did on my show to make more competitive, um, you know, the environment here to attract teachers from out of state. Walker said the state should fully fund education and make it the priority. Yeah. Do you know how much money that would be? Bill, the guy who cut permanent fund dividends years ago and promised not to. Dunleavy met the criticisms by pinning school districts' budget shortfalls, including the one in Anchorage, on their district budget management. And yeah, he might lose superintendent votes as a result of that, but it's probably true. He said, I'd be more than happy to sit down with a number of these school districts and have a discussion as to why they are short on their budgets. Remember, Dunleavy was a superintendent of the Northwest Arctic Borough. Remember that. So if you think about, and Tom, were you able to watch the debate? 
No, I wasn't. I totally spaced that it was on. I I had seen some stuff that it was going to be happening, and honestly, you know, uh, not to ding anybody, but I I just didn't get the information. Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah, it, uh, I didn't see a whole lot of promotion on it or anything. Um, of course, the channels it was on are typically ones I'm not watching anyway. Yeah. Um, I just no, don't I get that. Uh, tend to watch those channels, so I'm sure they were advertising it, but. Well, I Governor Dunleavy, it. he really did portray, ADN says, painted a rosy picture, quote, saying Alaska crime is lower than before his tenure. The operating budget has been reduced. The dividend this year is one of the highest ever. The state debts this year were paid off. I mean, those are accurate, aren't they? Walker and Garris said, no, 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 no. There's a grim photo of everything. There's a grim optic. The picture's bad. Crime may be lower, but key crime statistics still put Alaska as the most dangerous state for women. The larger dividend and debt payoffs this year were only possible thanks to temporary high oil prices. The state still lacks a fiscal plan to create a long-term stability for services like education. So they say, no, you failed across the board. Dunleavy comes back and says, well, the dividend payments this year, one of the largest sums in the state's history, is a victory. And they're like, no, it's because Russia invaded Ukraine and oil prices were boosted up. Guerra promised to solve Alaska's budget challenges by doing away with $1.2 billion in subsidies to oil companies. A promise that really has been fundamental to his campaign. Representative Guerra said that by doing that, the state would be able to afford a dividend and then you could fully fund schools, including indexing the per-student funding formula to match inflation. But Dunleavy's like, no, the school districts are not spending their money wisely. When you don't spend your money wisely, you don't give more money. If you're a business owner, my word's not the governor's, and you have managers that are, are failing, you don't say, well, let me throw more money at it. Let me double your budget. Typically, you say, maybe you do that to some degree, but you got to look at what the problem is. Walker, former Governor Walker, said the formula used to calculate the dividend should be changed, but he didn't commit to a particular path. Instead, he said he'd work with the legislature to come up with an alternative, you know, alternative calculation fiscal plan. And I don't know. If you look at how many conservatives are, you know, the Kevin McCabe's and the Mike Showers and the Tuckerman Babcock's and the Jim Matherly's and across the board, the, the Tilton's and the Allard's. I don't, I mean, do, do you think that they're going to work happily, hands open, ready to softly embrace and curl up and weep together with Governor Walker? You think that's going to happen? Of course it's not. With a high dividend right now, we've been put on the express lane for high taxes in Alaska, and that's what I don't want, Walker said. No, but he seems to favor taxes. I can't keep up with everybody's notion of what works and what doesn't, can you? I think Governor Dunleavy's done a fine job. There are some areas lacking, but for the most part, he, he gets a good grade from me. And my hunch is based on primary results and popularity and polls, you agree as well when you vote November 8th or by absentee like me. Stay with us, 357-5868 if you want to join us. Happy Thursday, Tom Anderson Show.
This is the Tom Anderson Show, broadcasting live from the KVNT studios, 7 to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday. We are back. Tom Anderson Show, good morning. I'll take your calls. 357-5868. What are your thoughts about the gubernatorial debate last night? And does Pierce have a chance? That's a question I have to all of you. And do you think it's Dunleavy's to win easy squeezy? Or do you think that the rank the blue movement by Walker and Guerra could poke Dunleavy and Pierce in the eye? Of course, Pierce and Dunleavy are doing the vote rank the red and vote Republican. Tom, what do you think? Do you think that combined... If on the second choice, let's say Guerra doesn't make it and more people like Walker, that's what I predict. So Walker barely beats Guerra. Guerra is taken off. And the votes go to, well, I assume Pierce is off the first round. I would, yeah, I would expect Pierce is off the first round. And then the second round, Guerra. And then it's Walker Mm -hmm. against Dunleavy. Right. How do you see that unfold? Is it easily Dunleavy's or is it close? Uh, I think it's going to be close, but I think Dunleavy's still going to come away with the win. Um, I I think he'll repeat. That's my gut feeling on that. But, you know, as we were talking about the uh, Anchorage School District, uh, you know, I was trying to crunch some numbers and see what was happening there. And we're talking about how they got this deficit and what's going on. You know, school enrollment's been going down for years. They've been losing students. Um, you know, you go back to 2015, uh, we had about 48,000 in there. 2016, about the same. 2017, it went down to 47,000. 18, it was at 46,000. And now we're down to 41,000. And uh, 800, it's almost 42,000. But, uh, you know, with more people maybe picking homeschooling, you know, those kind of things, I mean, you know, part of that deficit for AFD is, or ASD is, uh, you know, because probably lack of federal funding and reimbursements because they just don't have as many students. Wow. What would you do as a superintendent? Let's say you were the superintendent of a school district and you were forced with budget considerations and what we're seeing across the state with however mm-hmm. many we have, 56, 50. I'm not sure. I know we have Gary calling in, but think about that, Tom. What what would you do? Where would you cut? Would it be sports? Would it be theater? I know you might say, well, I got to look at the bud- actual budget. But, I mean, would you consolidate? And you might say, well, I, I don't know how to answer that because I'm not a teacher. I'm not an educator, mm-hmm. a- educator, and I don't have training. I, I would probably answer that way, too, if that's your response. But it's something we should talk about. And the public, maybe there's a teacher out there. I think of, like, mm-hmm. Wolfgang Winter, who used to you know produce our show when Rick Milliken was out. Wolfgang it was a, a former principal of Palmer High School. And I bet you he would have some ideas. I do. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, he probably would. I mean, you know, I would probably be looking at things, you know, of the different programs that are out there. And I think they've taken a look at some of these, uh, you know, things. Are we offer trying to offer too much uh, instead of just doing the core education so people know how to read when they get out of high school, you know, and uh, advance through there? They're able to do mathematics. They, you know, get some real tools they can use. They can learn how to budget, you know, those kind of things. And, uh, you know, as opposed to, you know, I think there's some one of them I read that they were looking at getting rid of anyway was the uh, full immersion programs. Uh, you know, why are we doing that? 
Yeah. Um, you know, we get the education system. We got to focus just on that education, not to make everybody feel good about themselves and, you know, those kind of things. And, you know, just try to be a whole smorgasbord of, you know, if they want to do full immersion stuff, great. Do that on your own. You know, go to, you know, get a group of parents together. Y'all form, you know, a little club or whatever you need to do to only speak that language yeah. and not speak English. No, I agree. I think those are those are cautionary uh, moves by school districts that are expensive and time consuming and staff draining. So let's go to Gary. Gary tried to call in earlier, but we were talking about history in the Louisiana Purchase. Gary, now we're talking about school districts in Alaska and the debate last night between the gubernatorial candidates. Dunleavy says, hey. I'm not going to spend a lot more on the Department of Education statewide. It's up to these 55, 56, 57 school districts. I was one in the Northwest Arctic Borough, he says, in Kotzebue. They can do better. We're not just going to throw a bunch of money at them like the Democrats, Gara and Walker, want. What do you think about that? Do you think that school districts can do a better job? First, I think the debate was just they didn't have enough time to even say anything. Second of all, Gara was a little snot. That's what I think he is. I like what he does for foster kids, but that's about the only thing he does. He, he was just awful last night, and Dudley was probably the best. Uh, and for Dudley to stay so calm, with and he's so big, he should have went over and stomped on Gara. But anyway, so that's what I thought about it. Just it was too. They didn't have enough time to really discuss anything. And it was mainly Walker and Gary ganging up on Dunleavy. And, you know, with everything said and done, I think Dunleavy did a pretty good job considering COVID and all the stuff we went through. So that's my opinion on that. And second of all, the schools are just ridiculous. They need a complete audit to where all the money's going. And that's a lot of things we need to do with those other shaders, too, is find out where all that money's going, where all that COVID money went. Uh, the school district was closed down for, a, you know, almost a year. Uh, where did that money, a lot of that money go? And it just goes on and on and on. And we, property taxes are high for most people, way too high. And most of it's for the school district, and they keep whining and whining. I think we need to change the administration and everything else. It's just... Uh, all they do is whine for more money and more money. They're getting quite a bit of money. And so I suggest an audit of all the money and and uh, maybe cut about half the administrators. That's yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Well, I don't know about half, but I know that, that the, the knee-jerk reaction, and I asked your opinion, and, and I don't blame you for your mindset, the knee-jerk reaction is to cut managers and headshed, not teachers, but you also look at, like, do they have a nurse? Do they have a counselor? Can they be shared? Can they be, you know, like if there's a school counselor, can a school counselor uh, share between two schools? You know, like, you, in, I don't know if every school has a counselor, but can you can you reduce that to one uh, for two schools or three schools? And then they go, I mean, I doubt there's 15 appointments every day with kids with counseling. Don't you agree? I don't think there's that many getting counseling. There may be one or two at a school. I don't know, but I would think that they could they could uh, work it that way, and and maybe the same with janitors and custodians. I don't know. I just you'd have to audit 
mostly staff, how many people are there and costs. And then you look at efficiencies of, of utilities and electricity, all those things that we would do at our own house. I think about what we as homeowners or renters, you know, we all buy groceries. Uh, we all have some bills and you either pay it within your means or you have a lot of debt with a credit card or you don't pay it and you go homeless. And none of us listening to this show are homeless, I would assume. So I think you could, Gary use what you and I do in our respective homes and households, you could think like that as a superintendent or as a manager of a government budget. But I don't think they do. I think that they look at it like a child might, which is, oh, mom and dad will help me no matter what. You know, I'll be covered. I'm safe. I got a safety net while I'm a kid. And I hate to say that, but I think they look at it like no matter what, we'll always be covered by the state and federal government in our borough government. So we really don't have to be, you know, super concerned. And I wish they were super concerned. At the school no, district some, level. Some, something's going on with the money in the school district. It's not being uh, used properly. Uh, you're down 41,000 from over 50,000 students. There should be a savings there of uh, quite a bit. And it just, it's just, Oh, now we got to close the schools. And there was one other thing I wanted to bring up. Of course, there's always something else. You can tell I'm not doing good today. But anyway, is the, uh, oh, I forgot. Was it, you talked about the debate. You, you said Dunleavy won. No, you didn't I'm like talking about the, actually that, that and this is kind of different, but it's example of whoever put it in in the deal is that sex book thing that's all over the news lately. And, and, uh, in the libraries for the elementary students, I mean, absolutely shouldn't be there. I mean, that's, you mean the male on kind of, male kissing one, or there's a bunch of those that have been in the news. Where... No, this is a one that's come surface the last two weeks. And it's about gay things and everything else. And exactly how you do that, and how you find a partner. Oh, and they, they, well, they, they discussed it at the school board meeting on Tuesday and your guy went in there from, clear up from you guys, from Palmer and went in there and discussed red part of it to them. And they didn't even want to listen to it. It was so bad. And it's in the elementary library. It's been taken out 40 that's times. That's awful. And by the well, way, yeah, whether that's... it's LGBTQ or, or heterosexual, I mean, any of that, you don't want that in there. I mean, and we're, we're a, a second grader can read that or third grader. And, parents, you know, yeah, parents need to tell their kids like we used to back when we were days. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. Yeah. And whatever, it, you can't leave everything up to the school district. No, in that can't. aspect. Good either. point, Gary. Very good parents point. Parents need to be parents. Hope you feel better, buddy. Enjoy your thank Thursday. You. Yeah, thank you, buddy. We're gonna come right back. Where phone lines are open three five seven five eight six eight. Happy Thursday, live local from Matsuda Anchorage. Tom Anderson Show. This is the Tom Anderson Show, broadcasting live from the KVNT studios, 7 to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday. 
We're back. Tom Anderson Show. Good morning. Phone lines are open if you want to join us. 357-5868. 357-5868. That's our number. And we're on for two more segments. We're live. We're local. So you're aware we're on 7 to 9 a.m. Monday through Friday right here in Anchorage and Matsu. Tom is in an Anchorage studio. I'm in my now home studio. We go back and forth and we're, I don't know if I'll ever have a full studio out here. There, you know, Michael Dukes does it. He has a cool studio himself and, and he has an online show, but I encourage you to listen to ours. Obviously, we're on the radio and I think that matters and our competition out there, they're not in state. And so you have choices. Tom and I can tell you about the weather and tell you what's going on while you're driving now tom you and i don't hit it every time do we like if a moose walks out in front of somebody on the glen we wouldn't know that would we yeah yeah we do need those alerts from you if you're out there driving let us know what's happening give us a call 907-357-5868 yeah we're not that good yeah (laughs) it's funny where we're like hey be careful do you see that ice patch some guy named fred's driving he's like yeah, are you yeah. talking to me? Tom's like, yeah, I am. Yeah, There's you, an ice patch 20 feet in front of you. He's like, how the hell do you know that? Steigman's right. like, because I'm behind you in your vehicle that's as right. he cuts him with piano wire and drives off. Yeah. And we don't have a producer. The show's Right off. out there in the yellow Pinto. You got to slow down. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Tom is like, you watch way too many movies, Anderson. <laughs> yeah, really, the piano wire. And stuff. <laughs> you, you watch Force 10 from Navarone lately? Yeah, is that what like, it was? <laughs> people are like, what a sweet show. This sounds like a really nice guy. We're like, Tom Steigerman. And uh, this oh, is really gosh. my story. I'm reading here. By the way, we will <laughs> bounce over to news unless you have. Is there anything of import, Tom, that we need to announce to folks? I always want to remind of that. Last week it was donating to CBI, to Christian Broadcast. Uh, you know, just another reminder. I mean, we touched on it yesterday. Uh, you know, the CPC Pregnancy Center is, uh, you know, having their fundraiser Friday night. You can give online at friendsofcpcanchorage.org over there. Of course, uh, you know, they do a great work on the pro-life side of things. They've had, you know, to uh, spend some of their funds on uh, vandalism. It looks like this, uh, you know, Jane's Revenge thing has been doing a little work here in Anchorage, and they've had some vandalism happen down there at the CPC Center. So, uh, you know, just be aware of those kind of things. And if you can help them out, uh, go online and give. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that's important. There, so many people get asked to donate money. And when I donate, I try to do it through my business. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I give for myself. But if anybody out there has a business, it, it is easier. If you have profit coming in, you got to be careful not to give it all away, you know, where you're not monitoring it. A lot of us don't, you know, I'm not assiduously looking at every single revenue uh, the increment and allocation increment out there. But I know that, you know, if we're, if we're one month, 6,000 up, I'm, I'm just going to make a number. I know that if Tom says, Hey, can you help with this? Which Tom has never asked me for anything, but I know sometimes they, they have events where I, I want to support, uh, you know, the Jewish center out here mm-hmm. called and, and rabbi, uh, asked me, Hey, Hey, would you mind helping? And I said, sure. And so, we tossed money their way and you know it's one of those balances you got to run your business and you need to save and you need to grow your your own personal income if you can so that you can pay off your own bills but whether you're looking at the bible for instruction 
and charitable direction there, or you're agnostic to that and you just want to donate for the good of the cause, donations help. And for instance, Christian broadcasting, I would think, Tom, Christians give to that. No offense, but if, if I'm not a Christian and I didn't mm-hmm. know you, I probably wouldn't give. Uh, I'm a Christian, but but if I wasn't, I don't know if I'd give to that. I would give to something that, of interest to me. And and is that what you find? It's very homogenous. Yeah. And, and that, that makes sense, too. I don't think that's like some epiphany, is it? Yeah, the no, homogenousness I mean, is we give to things we like or affiliate with. Duh. Right. You know, particularly for, I mean, our organization, sure. You know, uh, 90% of our donors are Christians. Uh, you know, we have some that aren't. Uh, we got people that tune in just because they enjoy the programming. And, uh, you know, it's a safe alternative. So they give to us. Uh, you know, we ask as people, you know, donate like during our share And, you know, it's amazing. I would say probably, I think 10% is probably safe, maybe even 15 or 20% of uh, our listeners. Uh, you know, they're not attending church. You know, they, uh, you know, it's not a, you know, your average churchgoer that's showing up every Sunday, uh, probably 5% of those people, uh, you know, it was what we would classify as non-Christians and, uh, you know, yet they still give, I mean, that's not uncommon here. It's a, it's a lower percentage, uh, obviously of non-Christians giving, but, uh, yeah, you know, it uh, crosses over. I mean, everybody supports stuff you know, that they like, uh, you know, you give to NPR on occasion, you know, we used to, uh, our family, we used to give to Alaska public media too, in the past, you know, as our kids were growing up and consuming some of that content and everything. Sure. You know, we threw some money their way to help support them. So, yeah, I mean, you gotta be out there. You gotta get involved with these nonprofits, help them out. Uh, cause they do an awful lot of good in the city. Yeah. I agree, and I just hope people consider that. Did you read there's a story from Alaska Landmine, and I, I almost want to read it, Paxson Warble, who is a great graphic designer. I think the only graphic designer in the political space equal to our Cecil Sanders, the great Cecil Sanders, if he's listening, he is one of the best graphic designers I think ever Alaska's had, and he does the lion's share of our designs, and they're just really, really impeccable. They're very, very good, and you can ask uh, Cologne, Hensley, Allard, Shower, McKinley, McCabe, Matherly, you can ask Babcock, you can ask the Murkowski IEs, you can ask Sarah Palin, you can ask Dunleavy. He is very talented. And his equal, and he'll admit it, is Paxton Warble, who is another designer and who is also getting into the writing space and journalism space. And there is a story from my buddy Jeff Landfield's blog. Alaska landmine. And it's not just a blog. It's a news source. In my opinion, Jeff is the breaking news guy more than anybody. I think in Alaska, I think Alaska news sources like, like uh, KTU and KTVA and ADN and all these folks, they look to Jeff's stories and they say, Whoa, we didn't know that Jeff had Jeff is like Mr. Breaking news. It's not Suzanne Downing as much as Jeff. And Paxson Warble, it's, he has an interesting last name. His mom's an attorney, very smart estate planning attorney. If you need to get a will done, go to his mother. It's spelled, my dad and I do. It's spelled W-O-E-L-B-E-R. Wolber, 
I should ask him how to pronounce his last name, but he talks about the fact on the campaign trail, congressional candidate Nick Bagich has gone to great lengths to portray himself as a reliable, practical conservative and a more staid alternative to his notoriously volatile Republican opponent, Sarah Palin. Nick's words about Sarah. But campaign filings and public documents reveal that Bagich the third, the guy running for office, co-owns and has long held multiple leadership positions at Earth Pulse Press. This is going to make Dalton excited. These are the people Dalton hang out with. A lucrative Alaska-based publishing house that creates and promotes, this is Vaxon's words, crackpot conspiracy theories, including the bizarre claim that the University of Alaska Fairbanks operates a massive mind control device that can manipulate populations, create earthquakes, and remotely alter the climate by beaming energy into the atmosphere. For years now, candidate Nick Bagich III has held an ownership stake in Earth Pulse and served in an official capacity as its VP, secretary, and treasurer. In fact, Nick Bagich declared between 115000 and a $1,050,000 in recent income from the organization on candidate financial disclosure forms. What's more concerning is during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, Earth Pulse also applied for and received tens of thousands of dollars, more than what my firm did, in federal and state COVID-19 relief monies. At approximately the same time that Bagich was donating 650000 to his own congressional campaign. So Earth Pulse, if you're wondering what Bagich is up to, it distributes media promoting conspiracy theories and new age spiritual belief stuff. The company's website is rife with dubious medical advice, Alex Jones stuff. Nick's dad is on Alex Jones's show all the time hosting. Uh, cryptic pseudoscientific claims about mind control, energy, telepathy, and futuristic Star Trek weapons. A banner on the website exhorts visitors to join the Hidden Monks Masterclass. The website contains content promoting the anti-Semitic New World Order conspiracy theory, which posits that a cabal of global elitists, typically Jewish, are engaging in vast effort to enslave humanity. See, that's the thing. The conspiracy theorists say it's the Jews, it's the mind control, it's big government. It's the the Templars and the and the uh, Shriners. <laughs> it's just and so Nick is owner or one of the owners of this group with his dad, and you know used to think about that when you're choosing people. I you know and people have said to me, well, you know, Anderson, you're not perfect in your life. I'm not running for Congress. We're analyzing people who are running for Congress, not ourselves. Keep that in mind. Let's talk about this. 357-5868, if you have thoughts. 357-5868, good morning. I don't hear music, Sir Thomas, but I'm going to tell people, stay with us. Yep, you're Tom right. We're, uh, we're five seconds out, so sorry about that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Here we go. We're up. We'll send it to a break right now. This is the Tom Anderson Show, broadcasting live from the KVNT studios, 7 to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday. Hey, we're back. So we're talking about (laughs) such funny things. I'm sorry, but there are a lot. Oh, what'd you find now? No, just the good morning, Tom Anderson Show. (laughs) Just the crackpotty mindsets. Dalton stuff. I mean, I'm always polite, but it just probably a mental faculty issue from a lot of these people. Probably, and I'm being serious, a chemical imbalance, 
a manic, bipolar, psychological inconsistency, or lots of drug use. And that's what happens. Then you start saying everything's controlled. They're out to get us no matter what. Something's going to happen. 10, 20, 30 years, then your ass dies. And sadly, you want to pull them from whatever place they go to when they die, if any place, and say, hey, I'm shaking you now in the spirit world, you fool. For 20, 30, (laughs) 40 years, you talked about this crap and wasted our time and nothing happened. It wasn't accurate. Shame on you. But once they die, you can't, uh, you know what I mean? I mean, Dalton is an example. Let's say he lives till 80 and he goes on and on and on and all all of us are accurate. And then he dies. It's like, dude, you wasted a lot of time. Alex Jones, you wasted so much time for, for Dalton. He probably truly believes what he, the Kool-Aid he drinks and, and, and thinks about, but, but Alex Jones, um, what a miserable SOB. And, and he probably doesn't believe it. He's like Larry, the cable guy. He has a shtick to make money. And that's what concerns me. And you see it in our prison systems. You see it in conspiracy theory blogs. You see it what what Nick owns. Nick Bagage owns this company with his dad. And what they talk about, you know, it's good for the world of science. I had Nick on a couple times, his dad on. And and is he a real doctor, Tom? Is Dr. Nick Bagage, did he get a true PhD at a school? Or is that honorary, like Dr. Prevo? Dr. Jerry Prevo, Dr. Martin Luther King, they didn't get a doctorate degree. It's honor, honorary. They're not Dr. Oz, who has a, you know, he's a medical doctor, a cardiothoracic surgeon. He's a doctor. It's not a, um, you know what I mean? It, 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 do they have real degrees or does Nick Bagage the second? is that an honorary one? Or do you know? I don't know. I'll try to find out as we're chatting. But, here. I'll try but to on this Earth Pulse, you know, it's it's something to to think about. It's lucrative, as Paxson reports. This mind control element, I mean, if Nick thinks that, then how will he be as a congressman when we're dealing with real policy matters? Will he say, hey, uh, you know, Roswell's active and there are aliens there, kind of like Independence Day, and we need to be cautious. We are being observed. We are being controlled. Hey, there's bad weather. It's not global warming. It's not, it, it is man-made, but it's not man-made from pollution. It's man-made from Fairbanks, University of Fairbanks and other places. I mean, is that what is being suggested? Mind control, earth rising, the revolution, controlling the human mind. Angels don't play this harp. These are books that that Nick Bagich, Nick's dad and his business partner are publishing. It's one of the reasons Mark Bagich never talks about it. I've had Mark Bagich on, what, 50 times on my show? He never talks about what his brother's doing. He stays clear of it. He laughs uncomfortably. Individuals and organizations conducting work at this facility dismiss these claims as fraudulent and bogus that work at HARP. That's what Paxson reports here. HARP holds public open houses and representatives say that the scientific work conducted there is very public. Despite the outlandish nature of Bagage the Second's ideas, the HARP conspiracy theory has taken hold with Dr. Bagage at its center. 
The Conspiracy Watch describes Begich as arguably the most famous anti-harp activist. And so that's where you see Nick Begich, his son, who's running for Congress, get involved. The harp conspiracy theory has spread with particular virulence in Central and South America, where the facility is regularly blamed for a variety of weather and seismic events. Ten years ago, Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez blamed a magnitude 5.6 earthquake on an American earthquake weapon. Venezuelan media suggested that Chavez was referring to harp. So, Baggage owns, serves as a director of the secretary. Corporate filings show that uh, he joined the corporate board of Earth Pulse in 2011. He owns just under 17% of it. So... If you look at what he claimed, making a lot of money from it, I don't know if that's from the books being sold or what. In response to questions from the landmine, baggage campaign manager Truman Reed, whose lobbyist Ashley Reed's son, uh, stated that Earth Pulse was founded and run by Bagich's dad, and Bagich is just an investor. Earth Pulse received $26,000 in public COVID emergency relief funding from the state and federal governments. That's what the ProPublica PPP database overview says. 17000 PPP loan and more monies. Looks like almost eight, no, almost 10000 from State Cares Act. Well, I wonder why they would get money. Why would they need that? You know what I mean? How would selling those books affect anything to, to get that much money? Twenty seven, twenty eight thousand bucks. It's unclear why Earth Pulse applied for public assistance during the pandemic, but it certainly was not because the Baggage family couldn't afford to keep the operation solvent. Paxson writes that in June 2022, Baggage reported loaning himself $650,000 to run for Congress. By the way, he didn't spend any of that. When Baggage got third, keep this in mind, Sarah Palin on the initial uh, primary was in the lead, and then folks sided either with Bagich or with Palin, and some didn't vote or rank second at all. Suddenly, Mary Piltola ends up in the special election to serve until January. She gets in to fill Don Young's remainder days, and she gets in by the hair of her chinny-chin-chin because Bagich and, and Palin are both in there. Bagich wouldn't leave. So... At the same time, there's a primary for the full two-year term, and Bagich goes after Americans for Prosperity, and others go after Sarah pretty mean, you know, calling her a disgrace, things like that. That's about as insulting as it comes when it talks about negative. And Sarah says, boy, you're being a negative, Nick. And then the, the media says they're both being negative. I don't get that, do you? Nick Bagich, imagine if Nick Bagich said that to you, radio show listener. You're a disgrace. And you said, boy, you're being negative. And I said, hey, Nick, and hey, radio show listener, stop being negative to each other. <laughs> you would say, what? I just said you're being negative. You're negative, Nick. That's what Sarah did. And so not that we want to analyze who said what said. That, that's petulant. But it is important to understand. If you look at how Nick came out he was last every race last and that's from the voters not from manipulation not from poor elections or 
or, or tweaked elections. It's from fair and square Alaskan voters going to the ballot box or voting absentee and saying, we don't want Nick. He was last. It was third of those three. We, I recommended to Sarah, along with others, go meet with Nick after the primary and say, of course, drop out. You're not going to win. And we will help cover your debt. And then I was contacted by somebody who said, did you look at APOC? And I said, no. And they said the 650000 Nick loaned himself, he's not using. He's using donated money. He's not, he's cheap. He's not using his own money. Maybe he is now, but he hasn't for months and months and months. So whether he sold something or had something with his foreign business, he's making his money from his foreign businesses. He, uh, you know, not here in Alaska, he didn't spend it. So the notion that we could get him to bail out to support Sarah to beat Mary and we'll help pay off your debt, we'll do a fundraiser, bro. He didn't need a fundraiser. He didn't spend any of his own money at the time. So, And some of that money came from this COVID relief money for this interesting Earth Pulse uh, conspiracy theory mind control book collection. So interesting stuff. You got to dig deep on some of these candidates. Again, we all have either skeletons or, or hiccups or speed bumps in our lives, but we're not running for office. Nick is. So, and Sarah is, and Mary Patola is. So those are the people you scrutinize. Those are the ones who are asking for the vote to, to be the congressperson for our state. We'll be back tomorrow. Enjoy your Thursday, my favorite weekday. Drive safe out there, and God bless. Oh, yes, they will.